Welcome to the Tea and Gardens podcast, where we drink tea and explore the gardens of Victoria, BC. This is the companion piece to the video series, which was filmed on the Kwangan Territory in spring 2022, the year of the garden. How are you today, Chantal? Do you have your cup of tea already? I'm good, thank you. And I have a nice cup of chai today. How about you? Nice and spicy. Yeah, I'm good too. I have a peppermint ready to start the day. Mmm, refreshing. Very. All right, let's get started. The Horticulture Center of the Pacific, or HCP, is a short drive from downtown Victoria in Saanich on the traditional territories of the Wasanich Nations. This nonprofit organization is home to the Pacific Horticulture College and more than 30 different gardens. We first visited HCP when we recorded an episode of the Value Nature podcast about the Husanich Ethnobotany Trail and native plant restoration. We were so taken by this year-round collection of gardens and educational programs that we had to come back and see more. This time, we were thrilled to meet with head gardener Linda Petit to learn more about these extensive and fascinating grounds. As Linda walked us to some of her favorite spots, she told us about the origins of the HCP and the importance of volunteerism. You know, this garden started, it was a, it was basically a vision of, you know, some volunteers that wanted to create sort of a hub of horticulture and, you know, a center in Victoria that taught people how to garden. And it's amazing because these volunteers, some of them have been here for 20 years or more, and they know everything, you know, they know all the history. And I feel that we have to capture that, you know, while they're still here, because it's like everything, you know, once the person's gone, the, the history's gone. We've lost mm. it. So we've done a bit of filming where we've interviewed some of our longtime volunteers and just to get their background with the gardens and when they started and how it started. And it's amazing, really. I mean, such dedication, you know, to be volunteering in a spot, the same garden for, you know, 20 years or more. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, here's some Oh, beautiful. Um, I'm just going to do a clap to sink everything. Oh, that's good. Okay. I like that. Uh, if you could start by introducing yourself and your role here. Okay. My name is Linda Petit. I'm the head gardener at the HCP. How long have you had that job? I've been the head gardener since 2013. Has the garden changed much in that time? I think so. I think gardens are always evolving and changing. Yeah. And more so now we've noticed with climate change, we all have to think differently. Could you be more specific about what you might be doing differently now? I think what we're hoping to do is actually come up with sort of a climate change plan. Um, we've noticed like last year when we had that heat dome, a lot of plants suffered, just couldn't take it at all. Even though they were in an area where they were well established, but just too, too much excessive heat. And also we're just wondering about the future, you know, as far as having plants that can adapt to the changing climate, including flooding cold winter temperatures if we happen to get more of those out here. So a lot really to think about and just to research on how gardens adapt. Yeah, so you just mentioned research. I imagine there must be quite a big sort of academic component to something It's like huge. That. And what we've done here, because volunteers look after a lot of the gardens, we've sort of given them sort of the job to keep an eye on plants over the season, see how things have changed. You know, notice if certain plants are adapting or not, suffering more than others. So it's sort of something where they have their, you know, their camera and their notebook ready every time they're in the garden to, to record information. Because yeah. it's only going to get more complex, right? Like right now we're having this cold spring. Exactly. So different. Yeah. yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And really, nobody really knows what to expect. 
I, it keeps it interesting, I suppose. I suppose it does. <laughs> keeps you on your toes. <laughs> do you have a lot of volunteers here? We do. We have about 150, yeah. Wow. Yeah, not all in the garden, but the majority of them are in the garden. We have volunteers in the office, in the library, and also just for special events, they come in. Right. Yeah. Do you feel, do you notice that you have a particular kind of person who frequently volunteers here? I think most of them are, of course, of the retired age. That's when people have time to volunteer and to commit to a weekly volunteer gig, we'll call it. Um, we do often have some young people, but they're sort of like a one-off project where they'll come in and do something and that's it. But the regular volunteers are all pretty much, you know, what, what I'd call retirees. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you find that maybe it's people who maybe they live in condos and they can't have their own garden? Definitely. A lot of them seek that. Yeah, they just miss it. You know, they miss having a garden. They miss getting their hands in the soil. And a lot of them just honestly want to come and they want to make friendships too. That's the other thing. If you retire, sometimes if you move to a new city, you're kind of lonesome. You don't know a lot of people. So you want that, you know, camaraderie that you get with a group of people that you work with every every week. Yeah, and you have a common interest like plants. Exactly, nice. and that's what you love to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so where we stood right now, we can see this beautiful vista behind you. Yeah, this is the rhododendron garden. It is, it's in its prime. You've got the right day for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the volunteers that look after this garden are part of the Vancouver Island Roto Club, so the Roto Society, and they come in every Wednesday and volunteer. Right, so is that the same rhododendron society that uses Peggy Abkazi's um, shield as a trophy. Oh, I'm sure it is. It's the only one. Yes, indeed. That is it. Yeah. See, yeah. Connected. They're a big group. Yeah. Yeah. That's so nice. Do you know how old this, like how old are the oldest rhododendrons in this garden? This garden, I believe it was 1985 that it started. Well, the main, the garden itself, the HCP started in 1979, but this was one of the, I think late eighties, this garden, I'm pretty sure it was 1985. So some of them, though, were older specimens that came from other, either maybe members' gardens or were just donated to the, the Roto Society. So I'm not sure exactly of their age, but a lot of them are quite mature. <laughs> and yeah, a lot of them seem to be in bloom right now. I guess they, you mentioned they were blooming a little bit later this year. Yes, maybe? I feel that the weather's been cooler. I feel in general we're about three weeks behind. Like we sort of keep records every year. We kind of know when the camas bloom or when the, the apple trees are blooming. And it seems to me like we're about three weeks behind. That makes sense for our schedule. We're about yeah. three weeks okay, behind yeah. too. Okay, well then everybody's sort of in the same boat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you really can't argue with the weather, right? No, you can't change anything. All you can do is grumble about it. Yeah, and adapt. <laughs> and adapt, exactly. Yeah. They set their flower buds in the summer for the next spring to bloom. So if it's too cold, the flower buds get killed off. And that's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of things that draw people to this garden... Do you find that the rhododendrons are, are a big draw? I think so, but I think in general, of course, it depends on what time of year people are coming to the garden. The big thing in the winter when everything looks sort of, you know, kind of green and not much color, we have a winter garden. It's called the Doris Page Winter Garden. And that's the showcase probably from December till I'd say early April. What's in, what's in the winter garden? It's beautiful. Um, I'm not sure if you know about Doris Page. No, it's but, just, okay, I'll tell you who question. she is. Yeah, she was a lady, a gardener, obviously, a trained horticulturist from Britain. And she came to Vancouver Island and she realized how we could actually garden here year round. One of the few, probably the only place in Canada where we can say we can do that. And she also, her claim to fame was bringing hellebores to Vancouver Island, to Canada. So I'm sure, do you know what a hellebore is? I, I have heard it. Yeah, well, I can show you. I mean, they're finished blooming now pretty much, but they're basically these evergreen foliage with lovely flowers that start blooming usually around Christmas. 
and they bloom for months and they're beautiful and they bloom in a woodland setting so they don't need a lot of sun. And the best part about them is they're deer resistant, which is really important for people these days. Yeah. So she brought, you know, hellebores and just she had a gardening, a local gardening show. And she was, I think, the president of the Victoria Hort Society. So she brought a lot, you know, to Vancouver Island to teach people that we can garden year round and be proud of it. <laughs> that's right. And now she has her own garden here. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. She's since passed away, but the garden is named after her. And yeah, I guess she had an amazing garden at home as well. We can go down. We have a couple of um, veggie, gar like food growing gardens. Oh, one particular where the students look after, if you'd like to see that. that. And that's, you know, more of our sustainability. For sure, yeah. Park, that's for sure. a good idea, too. So, what is this part of the garden? This is called the urban garden. Um, part of the, I'm not sure if you're aware, but part of the HCP, we have a Pacific Horticultural College here. So we offer a 10 month program where we have students take the program. They graduate with a certificate in horticulture and it starts in January and they graduate in November. So part of the program is they take an, what's called an introduction to growing food and it's near and dear to my heart because I teach it to them. So I actually quite enjoy it. So what they are, what they do, sorry, is they have each have, they split up in pairs and they basically plant what they want. They learn how to grow the cool season crops to start with. And then of course, once the summer heat comes, we have the tomatoes and squashes and, and the heat lovers in the ground. So it's quite an interesting course for them. And of course they get to eat what they grow and that's what they really like. <laughs> Do you find that a lot of people come to that course specifically because they're trying to learn how to live more sustainably? I think that's huge these days. Yeah, not just with this course, but with even community education, we notice a lot of people are taking courses. People, honestly, they just want to grow their own food, especially now with the cost of food, it's pretty much outrageous. And also if you have a climate where you can grow, you know, even things like greens all winter long, why not, you know, why not take advantage of it? I've heard that gardening is revolutionary. Revolutionary. Oh, well, yeah. I have, yeah, that, that probably is true. Yeah. Yeah. I it's think so. Yeah. Challenging the system of having to buy your food. It's true. Right. And it puts like a, a kind of power back into the hands of the people when you understand where food comes oh, from. Oh, totally. And, you know, we noticed it more, of course, during COVID because people were staying home. And people just, a lot of them turn, you know, you read about people turning their front lawns into vegetable gardens because they had time on their hands. And, you know, what a great thing to do. You're home. Why not grow some food? And I really think it's important to people. I mean, here we definitely, you know, have a lot of interest in it, including organic gardening. And the other thing is nowadays growing plants that attract pollinators, that attract beneficial insects. You know, it's such a huge thing for people to be sustainable. We also teach about composting, which is important. The other things we do with sustainability, we um, have green machinery. So we have machinery that's not all powered. It's actually battery operated. So we have mowers that are battery operated and string trimmers that the students learn about. And also we even, you know, encourage them to carpool or bicycle to school if you can. So all those things are, you know, so important to people these days. Yeah, and those things that they start mattering when you're doing them collectively. Exactly. It's huge. Yeah. You're right. Everybody sort of jumps on the bandwagon when, you know, when everybody starts. Well, it is easier as well when you're not the only one. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, you no, I agree. You hold you accountable and say, why have you got a lawn? Your lawn isn't doing Exactly. And you're spending all this time mowing and spending time watering and, and expense, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's so true. Yeah, totally different. Um, can I ask, do you find that gardening has a mental health benefit? Oh, for sure. 
there's no doubt about it. And I'm sure there's studies been done. I know there has. It's something about when you put your hands in the soil and just feel the soil, it's just, it almost releases. I know, I think it does. It releases some chemical. I can't think of what it is, but it just makes you feel good. It sort of takes the stress away. And even in a green space, you can see people, you know, that live in a busy, hectic city. If you can go for 10 minutes and sit on a park bench, you know, with nature and listen to birds, it's got to be a, a good calming effect and good for your health. I see it as a spiritual practice, like an exactly. earth spiritual practice, totally. yeah. which is never going to be a hurtful thing to have. No, for everybody, for all ages. You're absolutely right. Yeah. How do you feel working here? How would you reflect on having a job here? I often think about when I come into this setting every day, even if you think, oh, God, things aren't going right in life or, you know, you're mad about something or whatever. What a beautiful setting to have is your office. You know, it's really hard to stay angry for too long. It's amazing and it changes, of course, with the seasons, but it's just such a beautiful spot to be. And especially, we, like I say, we noticed when COVID hit and we were open again to the public, people came here because it was a safe place to come. And you could sit and you could just sit and reflect and listen to nature and, and, and just enjoy, you know, a, a safe place to be. Do you have any bees on site here? We do. We have a couple of hives up, up by our poly houses. They're not open to the public, but we have volunteers that look after them. And we do sell the honey in our gift shop. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Where did the bees come from? We, um, well, they've been here as long as I have, so I don't know exactly where they came from. But it's sort of been something where the first beekeeper retired and handed it over to his, I don't know, some relative, of course. But they're, you know, they're definitely professional beekeepers. So they, they know what they're doing. They come in with their white suits on and look after them. Yeah. Some kind of bee dynasty. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. Very cool. Next, Linda led us to the beautiful Takata Japanese and Zen Garden. On the HCP website, they state, This garden was designed to recreate the unique components of traditional Japanese stroll gardens with the focus on understatement and simplicity. The various elements of nature, water, earth, stone, light, and plants are all present to offer a place of respite and rejuvenation. The winding pathways, various bridges, benches, the strategic placement of stone ornaments, and the restful sound of running water all serve to create the serenity that is prevalent in a Japanese garden. Do you please tell us something about this bridge that we're standing on? Yes, this is called what we call the Moon Bridge. It's in the Takata Garden, and this is one of our most loved gardens. It's probably one of the biggest gardens we have, and we have the biggest, I'd say the largest group of volunteers in this garden because the garden's so big. It's an amazing garden. This was actually a volunteer named Bob Clark, who's still alive but no longer volunteering. He had this vision to create this garden, and he was amazing. He had, I think, a couple of friends who knew about Japanese gardens or had an interest in it, and they basically created it by hand. And he went out and did fundraising on his own to get donors to donate to create this garden. So it's pretty amazing, really. And it's a beautiful setting all year long. And uh, we actually have a wedding coming up this weekend where it's just a small wedding of 10 people and they're going to get married right here on the bridge. So it's a lovely setting. That's beautiful. It's a real testament to the power of community. Exactly. So is this uh, Japanese design? Then? Yes, definitely. Inspired? All of this is, yeah. The um, Michael Greenfield was the man who helped Bob Clark design the garden. And I think he had been to Japan many times and had a Japanese garden of his own. And so does Bob. 
And they basically knew, you know, what features should be in a Japanese garden, a North American version, I should say, of a Japanese garden. Yeah. But it's amazing. Even, you know, down to you'll see lots of lanterns in the garden and, of course, certain words written in Japanese and certain plants. They're all part of the Japanese culture. Fantastic. So we're standing in front of what looks to be a new building. Yes, it is. It's our newest building here. We're still in the Japanese Takata Garden, but this is actually a repurposed building. It was an authentic Japanese tea house for many years here, but we didn't have many ceremonies. It wasn't used that often and it was starting to fall apart. So the volunteer construction group and the Takata Garden volunteers came up with this sort of design, we'll call it, and it's just now a sitting area. It's a place for people to come and sit and enjoy the view out of the sun or the rain. And it's just a lovely, peaceful setting. So nice. The wood is beautiful. Yeah, it's cedar wood and the benches are made from arbutus. And the volunteer, a volunteer donated the wood for the benches and one of another volunteer made the benches. So it's all definitely a collaboration by many volunteers. Absolutely. I'm curious if this building is being inaugurated. Yes, what we're going to have, it's actually a week from tomorrow, so on a Wednesday when the volunteers are here, we're going to have the construction volunteers who built it and the garden volunteers, the Takata volunteers, join us with the, actually the Takata family, who's Dylan Takata, who's the grandson of the Takatas, and they're going to come and we're going to basically have a, just a, an opening, you know, sort of a celebration for the new building. Linda kindly invited us to the inauguration ceremony that was happening the following week. Dylan was there with his lovely family where we ambushed him and he very kindly agreed to talk to us. If you want to hear that conversation, you can check out the video or podcast episode about the Japanese gardens at Gorge Park to hear all about his family legacy. Yes, it was fascinating speaking with Dylan about his heritage and his connection with tea. But we also wanted to hear about Linda's connection. What is your personal relationship with tea? I think for me, I've always enjoyed tea. I grew up in the Maritimes. I grew up in Nova Scotia. And tea, having a cup of tea, especially when you went to visit a neighbor or a friend, was always sort of a traditional thing to do. I can remember as a child knowing an older lady at where we had a summer cottage. And when you'd go to visit her, she would serve you loose tea. And she, I'm sure, had the teapot on the stove, you know, 24 hours a day. And it was really, you know, it was loose tea. Of course, I was young. I thought, oh, it's not that great. It's awful bitter. But again, you know, you had to go for tea and that was just part of the ceremony. And I think it's, it for me, when I want just a moment of pleasure and relaxation, I just boil the kettle and, and make a nice cup of tea. But not as strong and bitter as that loose no, tea. No, I don't leave it on the on the you know on the stove all day. I make sure I have it within a reasonable time. <laughs> what kind of tea do you like to drink? I just like black tea. Yeah. How do you drink it? I usually just drink it black, straight up. Yeah, yeah. straight up. That's nice. right. Yeah, I like to. I feel like when you have tea, I like to taste tea. I, I don't really. I I'm not against herbal teas, but I don't like flavored tea really. I just like a, a cup of good old fashioned tea. <laughs> So we're here surrounded by all these beautiful blooming camas and red columbine. Could you tell us where we are right now? Yes, we're in the Gary Oak Meadow Flower Garden. It's sort of the, I guess, the last part of the Ethnobotany Trail. And you're right, it's in its glory right now. It looks beautiful. And how long have you had the Ethnobotany Trail? 
Actually, that's one of our more recent gardens, um, probably two years. I think it just started just before COVID, so probably a couple of years now we've been open to the public, and people love to come and see it. I mean, the signs are absolutely amazing. But I think the big thing that people love to see is they just like to come because they see these plants, you know, in, in, in nature, in Greater Victoria, and they just want to learn more about what's out there. It's really worth checking out these unique signs, which were designed by Coast Salish artist Sarah Jim. They feature beautiful drawings of the native plants alongside their names in English, Latin and Sanchathan, which is a Coast Salish language spoken in the south end of Vancouver Island. Incidentally, Sarah also created our Tea and Gardens logo. And we love it. <laughs> to hear from Sarah directly, you can check out our podcast episode about Papakan Hayout, which means blossoming place in Sanchothan. This nursery and garden is located at the Thleonuth Tribal School in Brentwood Bay. It teaches vital life skills such as Indigenous food sovereignty, restoration work, and the Sanchothan language. Sarah is also a key player in the Value Nature podcast episode on native plant restoration, which is full of fascinating facts and stories that we were told while walking the Husanich Ethnobotany Trail. This round, Linda was our guide. So everything on this trail is native to the area? That's correct. How does that affect the wider ecosystem of this garden? I think it's very important. I mean, I feel, especially now with climate change, people, and also deer problems, people are looking more for native plants, especially with deer. You know, most deer don't eat native plants, and hopefully that stays that way. But again, who knows? But I think it's really important just because these are the plants that have grown here for years, and they've obviously adapted to the climate. So hopefully they'll be the ones to carry on. I didn't know that deer don't Eat native plants? In general, they don't. Now, don't, you know, quote me on saying they won't because the young deer will try anything. Honestly, there's nothing they won't try. But you think of what grows out in nature. Most times, obviously, it must grow well or there would be deer that would have, you know, eaten it down to the ground. So most of them are pretty much deer proof. Interesting. Very interesting. Just one more way that Mother Nature knows what it's doing. Exactly. Linda walked us to where Charlotte and the quail is located within the garden, and we were greeted by Charlotte the cat. She's a constant companion in the video, so it's worth watching for her alone. Yes, she is quite entertaining. So Charlotte and Haley then joined us to walk through the garden and forage plants to take back to the cafe and steep a homemade tea. You can see how like if you had come just even like honestly three months or a month ago, it wouldn't have it does yeah. it wouldn't have looked like this. Mm -hmm. This one is so funky. So this is like the border of like when we know spring is coming because there's primrose in here, like just on the edge, and they're like the first flowers of the season. So we know that it's almost over um, when they arrive. But where we spend most of our time harvesting is in this herb garden. Do you want me to, oh, there's a snake. So pretty. Do you want me to tell you anything about the quail? Yes, please. So when we first opened up, well, I guess I was from Vancouver. And then when I moved over here, I wanted to, I wanted to be out in nature more. Right. Yeah. And so I was from the city and 
just over, I was over it. And so I moved here into James Bay and I Googled like where to learn how to grow vegetables. Cause that was like one of my goals mm -hmm. and this space popped up. And so I rode my bike out here and I signed up to be one of the volunteers cause there's a huge volunteer program here. And I would come out every Wednesday, do a little harvest in this vegetable garden as part of the veggie volunteer group. And then we got to take some vegetables home at the end of the day. And then from there, I started cooking those vegetables and my friends started noticing that I was getting healthier. And then a couple of people asked, asked me to start cooking for them. And it kind of just all snowballed from there. So I started with a couple clients and then I had 12 clients that I was cooking for on a weekly basis, using stuff from here just to kind of add a little bit of magic. And then one day I noticed that the space that Charlotte McQuail is in now um, actually was like a little, it was a classroom, but it had that little kitchen attached to it. And at that point it was like a little kind of like rec center kitchen with a home fridge and a home stove and like cupboards with teacups and a lot of teacups and a lot of plates that had been donated over time. So I ended up talking with the director and asking if I could use the kitchen as um, a place to rent to cook for my clients. And at that time, um, he was like, well, yes, you could, but really we need to have a tea house here. And so I come from a hospitality background and I thought that would be super easy. And I dove in and it wasn't. <laughs> Over time, I've learned so much, uh, but I opened up Nourish here in 2010. And so um, over the years and over the seasons, I've learned so much about living your life with the cycles of the seasons, understanding what the message is of each season and trying to witness what that is doing in your own body as well. And um, we got to a point where we were just too busy to have Nourish here. It was a tiny little space. We've had, you know, the kitchen is not huge. And so we had a lot of challenges. It was just beyond this space. And so um, we ended up moving Nourish to downtown into Victoria, into um, another beautiful space. And I took the opportunity to really think about what this space was, because original Nourish here was an impression of what I wanted to create rather than a interaction with the environment here. And so um, I got to really take that moment to think about what made this place special and how it was that I could emulate that even more in a quaint and whimsical, beautiful way with nature. So I took the opportunity to change the name of this one to Charlotte and the Quail because we're on Quail Road and Charlotte is a huge part of our lives. She really does give us so much joy. Here she is, just over there, looking at us. Okay, that's enough. Bye. So we, this is this is actually a garden that we come to a lot, um, the veggie garden. But what we'll go over maybe is just like a big part of what Nourish is is honestly yeah. the flowers on the plates. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 
one of the most treasured pieces that I have and the one of the ways that I have learned more about nature and the power of it is my time witnessing the seasons. But beyond that, being able to understand the Oedipal aspect of it and then see, you know, a kale come from a little tiny start into this thing that I actually kind of get excited when things bolt because then you get the edible flowers and then you get to see the bees and get to eat the delicious little shoots on them. So for me, I, I think the flowers and putting intentional beauty onto every single plate with this, not even just putting the intentional beauty on the plate, but beyond that, appreciating that beauty in the moment that you're putting it on the plate, it's almost kind of selfish a little bit. But then that person who's receiving it also is just like beyond. So I think that that is our genuine secret ingredient. And I just love edible flowers. So maybe we can do like a little bit of a tour of a couple ones that exist right now that we not aren't necessarily going to be using, but that are just so beautiful. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what drives you to use particular ones? Is it color or is it more about flavor palette? So it, I mean, the beautiful part about nature is it works with itself in a symbiotic sort of way. And so if you're using seasonal foods at certain times of year, you're using seasonal flowers at certain times of year. There definitely is magical aspects to different flowers. Some have more meaning than others do. And so that's kind of a fun little part is to kind of like see what your heart needs or your body needs at a certain moment in time. But really it's just about the pop of color, especially at this time of year, because we're still, you know, we're coming into like lots of greens, which is so nice, but to have yellow flower or purple flower on the plate as well is, is I don't know, it's pretty amazing. There is flavors in flowers too, though, which is really important. So, you know, you're not going to necessarily put a lilac on a Caesar salad, but you could put it on pancakes. It's got this licorice sweet taste. So there's sweet flowers. I have the category of sweet flowers, neutral flowers that you can just put everywhere on anything. And I, I kind of put kale flowers in that category. And then ones that have like a savory flavor that definitely influence a dish as well. So yeah, the kale flowers are just so great. And even the shoot tops right now are just so delicious. I have a hard time picking the shoot tops because I know they're going to be flowers at one point in time. And then another one that I just think is just so incredible. And these do, like I wouldn't put these on desserts or cakes necessarily, maybe sometimes, but they're fava bean flowers. And so they will be fava beans at some point in time, but they're just like the intricacy of nature is just like genuinely mind boggling to me. And then I don't know, these little flowers are just so beautiful. So those are one of my favorites right now. And what else do we have in here right now? Peas are another one. So this would be a garnish. So we have the flowers are garnish, but then also like just little tendrils of peas. And, and this helps people who don't necessarily have a garden to be able to come and eat and, and witness what's happening in the garden and to like genuinely intertwine themselves with it a little bit right so i don't know i just find like the fennel fronds to be or these aren't fennel these peas the little fronds to just be so whimsical really it's pretty 
miraculous in my opinion. So we will clip off like a little piece sometimes. I'm not gonna do it right now because they're just so gorgeous and they need a little bit of, it's just been so cold, they need time. <laughs> but just to have something like that on the plate as the bouquet is pretty special. Mm -hmm. My turn. <laughs> Where'd she go? Hello? I actually do have to get her out. Oh, yeah. She'll eat all the vegetables. Where'd she go? Where'd she go? So this would be a really good example of a, a flower that you actually want to know the flavor of. And I call it a flower when it's actually chives. <laughs> but you know how uh, my focus is. So the chive flowers are going to be blossoming soon and they actually are an onion. So have a very potent flavor, but subtle too. So I find like the flowers often have a more subtle flavor than the actual plant does most of the time. Um, I want to harvest some things, but there's no mint. Oh, there's some lemon balm. We can do oh, yeah. lemon balm for a tea. So why don't we get into some things that we can harvest and then yeah. we'll throw it into some water and give it a taste. This is delicious. Okay, so we've got bronze fennel, which grows so quickly and so vigorously and is actually can be quite invasive so you just want to be kind of careful if you do grow it but we're going to harvest some of these fronds so once you get to know your flavors of the garden and in your herbs and veggies and you can kind of play while you're in it when you're trying to create an experience in your kitchen so i know that the fennel is kind of got a licorice -y sort of flavor and the sweet sicily is just magical and also has kind of like a licorice flavor. So I think we're gonna run with like a good licorice sort of note. So the sweet Sicily, you can eat the whole plant. When you harvest, particularly like really the, the stems or the fronds off of anything, you kind of, you wanna make sure that you're clipping just before where there's two nodes coming out. And I'm not a gardener, so I know somebody's probably like, oh, she's butchering this. But anyway, the point is, is that you actually don't want to butcher the plant. So you want to pick just a, above where there's two more pieces coming out. So I'm going to pick some of the leaf just because I find it to be so delicate. A couple of the flowers because they're just like lace. And then these seeds are really, what? Who's up there? A little chipmunk, I think. I can smell the licorice now. Yeah. So, and I'm going to take some of these seeds because they actually are full of flavor. So we'll put those into our steep. There's some violets here, which I'm going to put into... They're such resilient little flowers that I like to think that they offer resiliency. And so I can harvest some of those and put them in the steep even. I'm going to put some mint in here as well. And it's just coming up, so I'm not going to take too much. But I'm just going to, again, it actually will help when I pinch the top off at that certain point. It will help for this plant to actually bush out. 
So it's it's kind of a good thing. With there's that theory of the more you pick, the more you grow. You need to do that properly and really be conscious of what it is that you're doing. And you also need to, especially for edible foods, be not be greedy, you know, yeah. <laughs> to make sure that you are not taking it all and being aware that the plant, the more you care for it, the more it will care for you too. So yeah, with this kind of stuff, we would use this as garnish. We're gonna use it in a steep today, but we could also put it, like I said, into a honey and infuse a honey mm. or infuse salts. You'd want to dry, dry it out first or oils as well. And those are really great ways to just transcend time really um, and bottle it all up. So um, this is a rosemary bush. I think we're going to leave the lilacs out just because there's not very many blooms right now. Rosemary is just such a beautiful flavor and I, I think it works really well with sweet and savory dishes, but it does take over a dish and that's why we're going to use it in the steep is because we actually want to have flavors. So it's actually a benefit right now. But if you are putting it into anything, you really want to taste the flower first just to kind of get an idea of like how much it's going to take over the situation. So I'm just going to take the blooms. So what we're going to do today is to steep it in hot water and have it as a tea. But the other really lovely way to do it too is, like I said, dry it out. And then, you know, you can even put the date of the harvest on the little bag of dried herbs and have it in the winter, you know, on the dreariest of days where you're just can't take it anymore. <laughs> I liked what you said about transcending time. That's mm. a nice way to think You know, and then like, even though we don't see it right now, this is like the most beautiful rose corridor in another two months. There's roses just all over it. It's so incredible. And that's kind of one of the awesome things about really spending time in a garden is knowing that there is something really beautiful in the future and we'll make some really beautiful infused honey is my favorite. So I've got my pot of hot water, my fresh herbs and flowers, some lemon and honey just to balance out flavor and bring a lot of brightness and joy. I mean, who doesn't love honey? And I'm just going to put everything in the pot and let it steep a little while. I'm going to save some of these flowers just to float on top of the tea afterwards because that's kind of fun. So I'm just going to put everything in. How long will it steep for? Usually about five minutes. I mean, you can let it steep and have it right away or you can put it into a jar of cold water even and put it out into the sunshine and let it steep a day or two. And then you have sun tea and that's supposed to be quite powerful like the sun. Give it a little stir. And I guess this is where like just the time for yourself or time with a friend really comes into the equation, you know, as just taking that moment to recognize that you can be quiet and it's okay. It's actually really good for you. It's always nice to kind of notice what's happening. Like, 
little ant on the table, which I'm just going to let do its thing. <laughs> and the, the aroma that's coming from this, which actually smells really amazing, and I think it's going to be so delicious with this lemon. I'm actually going to put a couple of these lemon slices into the tea. So what would you say is your personal relationship with tea? My personal relationship with tea is my opportunity to really genuinely all-encompassingly nourish myself. I think it's fun. First of all, it's not like coffee where you don't get that much of a variation. You know, I love going into my tea cupboard and thinking about how I feel at that moment and what I need to play with in order to uplift me or soften me or just cradle me. <laughs> you know, sometimes tea can do that for you too. And, you know, with tea, I think one of the best parts about tea too is like the ah, afterwards, whereas with coffee, sometimes it's like the opposite, right? Where you're just like, okay. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> it's a low after coffee too. That's, yeah. yeah, I mean, no disrespect to coffee. I love coffee, but tea is—you can't even compare the two. I don't think. No, no, you can't. So I don't think that's been five minutes, and we're probably not fully doing justice. Honestly, the longer the better when it comes mm -hmm. to steeping. But a little taste, just to see where things are going. And the thing is too, like if you don't have a ton of herbs, you can always play a little bit with the lemon and the honey to make more flavor, or you can add a couple tea bags of herbal tea or black tea. I mean, a black tea and this would be so delicious as well. But yeah, there's, there's some flavor coming through for sure. It smells divine. It does. It does. So I think, you know, I think it's just such a shame that we would leave these herbs in the pot. And so I'm going to suffer through, we're all going to suffer through, um, sipping through the herbs as well. I'm going to put a little bit into every cup because I think, I just think they're so pretty. There we go. I'm trying to get some flowers out. I'm do a squeeze of lemon in each. And then, of course, a little drizzle of honey. I'm all it's nourished. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Sounds good. Mm. Hmm. Oh, nice. A little roughage. A little roughage. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you to everyone at HCP and Charlotte and the Quail for a lovely experience and delicious tea. For a visual tour of the garden, check out the Tea and Gardens video series, available on Telesoptic TV or YouTube. We also have a social media account that shows highlights of the gardens we've explored. This is just another way that you can see Charlotte. So find us at Tea and Gardens YYJ. Cheers and happy gardening!